Let's just pray. Lord, we come to you now and we ask that you would give us understanding of your word. Give us, Lord, the, the understanding of what you're saying to us, what your word means and what it means to us today. Lord, open our hearts and ears that we may hear you speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. That's a very challenging section of scripture in a number of ways. How long, O Lord? How do we cope with death and injustice, with persecution? How do we cope when, although there's so much joy and peace in the world, although there's so much that we give thanks to God for, and yet at the same time, at the same time, there are those who are struggling, those who are suffering for their faith. How do we cope with injustice and persecution? <clears throat> In looking at these issues, we'll see that there is an answer to why believers suffer death, why they suffer martyrdom. And we'll see that death is not defeat. Justice and victory are ours in Christ. But firstly, how do we cope with injustice and persecution? While death is the extreme suffering that someone can experience for their faith, the same principle of what happens to the martyrs applies if, even if we aren't killed but are persecuted or even if we're not persecuted, we're just mistreated, even in mild ways for our faith. So these words, although they describe in Revelation 6, verse 9 to, um, to 14, they describe the worst case situation. We shouldn't think that, well, that doesn't apply to us because we haven't died for our faith. While the worst case situation applies to them, the same principle applies to all who are persecuted in Jesus' name, all who are opposed but not killed. What applies to the extreme also applies partway there as well. So these verses have relevance for us, even though we don't too often ourselves experience the injustices of martyrdom for our faith. We experience other things in a mild way. The fifth seal here in Revelation chapter 6 speaks not only to Christians who have been martyred, but to all who have suffered in any way because they're a follower of Christ. If you've been discriminated against at work or berated by your work colleagues or ostracized by your family or community or suffered abuse from individuals, this passage is relevant to to each one of us. If you've ever asked the question, why, Lord, or how long do we have to put up with such things, such ungodliness, such injustices, then we have here in Revelation chapter 6 an answer. First, though, we have to distinguish between suffering for Jesus and suffering for other things. 
The answer we have here in Revelation is for those who suffer for righteousness' sake. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For righteousness' sake. He doesn't just say, Blessed is everyone who suffers, but blessed are those who suffer for righteousness' sake. If we suffer for having done wrong, well, that this verse doesn't apply. Have you ever met some Christians who have spoken about witnessing for the Lord and about being opposed by other people and they console themselves that the, that they've been opposed because uh, because of their faith? Well, very often that is why they've been opposed. But occasionally, too often actually, Sometimes Christians are opposed, not because they're doing things the Lord's way, not because they're being persecuted for righteousness' sake, but simply sometimes because they're just insensitive, crass, judgmental, even arrogant and obnoxious. I don't know if you've met Christians like that. Thankfully, there aren't as many as there could be, but there are some And if we're suffering opposition because we're just judgmental and arrogant, then we're not blessed, according to Matthew 5.10. We're getting what we deserve from other people, in a sense. There are times when we're mistreated, though, when we haven't done anything wrong, when we're just witnessing for God, when we're just living for God, doing what is right. Peter tackles this situation we have when we haven't done anything wrong, but we're still mistreated. He says, For God is pleased when, conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong. He's talking to employees about being punished by their employer. And in that situation, sometimes it meant physical punishment, which we don't agree with today but if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently God is pleased with you for God called you to do good even if it means suffering just as Christ suffered for you he is your example and you must follow in his steps of course enduring unjust treatment is not our only option if we endure unjust treatment for having done what is right, we shouldn't just make it our only option just to say nothing. We can and should (coughs) campaign for justice. We should work for justice. We should seek to uphold the the rights, uh, the way all people ought to be treated. Fairness, we should seek for justice for those who are marginalized for especially for those who are vulnerable Isaiah says learn to do good seek justice help the oppressed defend the cause of orphans fight for the rights of widows we ought to seek to do these things we ought to simply not be doormats in every situation But once we've done this, 
once we've sought the, the, the cause of the orphan the, for the rights of widows, once we've tried to help the oppressed and we just don't get anywhere, we've done all we can, we've prayed to God and we can't do anything and we don't see God doing anything, what do we do? What should the poor of this earth do? Should we rise up in rebellion against injustice? Should we take up arms and fight? In the book Les Miserables, Victor Hugo shows that the poor, the French word Les Miserables mean the poor, the marginalized of this world. They have two choices. One is to take up arms and overthrow those who are in power. Turn the tables on the oppressors and so often become the oppressors in themselves. That's what happened in the French Revolution. There was a, a change of those who were in power, but they were still poor afterwards. Les Miserables said, not before the French Revolution, but after it. After the change was meant to bring fairness and equality to those who were poor, they were still poor. As a last resort, once we have sought justice, if we still don't see it, we should be very slow to turn the tables, to have revolution. Because what tends to end up happening is that in the long run, sin corrupts those who are in power. And eventually what you end up with is one load of sinners in power oppressing some people, being replaced with another load of sinners in power oppressing sometimes the same people, sometimes others. Although the American Declaration of Independence had provision for revolution for the worst case situation of absolute despotism. In general, we don't really see that too often. No matter how much we try to reform, true justice and peace and equality is never found this side of the Lord's coming. Instead, the words of Bernard Shaw are so true. Revolutions have never lightened the burden of tyranny. They've only shifted it to another shoulder. So once we've campaigned for justice, once we've done all we can to help the oppressed and the marginalized, once we've prayed to the Lord, what do we do? A minority of people use the cause of justice as a pretext to gain power and control. Yet others seek justice for its own sake, but are so often disappointed. What do we do? We trust in the Lord and we wait. And we can gain victory, even though it looks like defeat. Firstly, we have to realize that Jesus has told us that we will be persecuted. We shouldn't have a this side of Jesus' second coming. We shouldn't have the mindset that all the blessings of God should be here and now. Jesus has told us that that won't be the case. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. We shouldn't assume that here and now we should be free from persecution. 
we should seek it. We should not provoke people. But if it happens, we should not be surprised. Some of the deaths that have occurred from the four riders in the first four seals in the, the first half of this chapter, chapter 6 in Revelation, some of these deaths have not just been death in the world, but death of God's people, those who have been martyred for their faith. Not just those who have died, God's people who have died, the same death that other people suffer, but those who have been put to death because of their faith. The voice of the souls under the altar is not to be understood that there's a physical altar in heaven but it's simply a metaphorical way of describing the cry for justice that calls out from those who have suffered and died because of their faith in Jesus. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted out to the Lord and said, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, How long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? How long, O Lord? How long? This isn't a cry for revenge. This is a cry for justice. And it's a cry to God who is holy and true. This applies not only to those who have suffered martyrdom this cry how long O Lord is also the cry for those who suffered minor persecution oppression opposition this applies to each one of us in one way or another there is so much opposition and persecution and even martyrdom in the world at the moment we may not experience it ourselves firsthand. We may read of it in church history, but around the world it is still happening. The injustice suffered by the Christian schoolgirls who were kidnapped and pressurized to convert to Islam or people being executed for being Christians, both of those in Nigeria. The opposition that an isolated believer has at work from those who oppose their faith. The Inquisition, where believers were put to death both before and after the Reformation. Today, the burning of villages in India where Christians live. The refusal to give COVID food aid to Christians in some parts of some countries. The forced marriages in Pakistan of Christians to those who are non-Christians. People being arrested and jailed. Christians being arrested and jailed without charge in China. Or simply being jeered at or given verbal abuse or opposition for being a follower of Jesus. For trusting in the word of God. For being faithful, having a testimony of love and service to the Lord. These are all examples of persecution. And some to the point of martyrdom for being a follower of Jesus. This is something that's relevant to each one of us. Around the world today, according to the World Watch List by Open Doors, every day 13 Christians worldwide are killed because of their faith. 
Every day, 12 churches or Christian buildings are attacked. And every day, 12 Christians are unjustly arrested or imprisoned. And another five are abducted. Those are the average statistics. And many more suffer milder forms of persecution and opposition. How should we respond? Well, death can be victory, not defeat. What is Jesus' response here? He shows that justice is coming. In this sixth seal from verse 12 to 17, he shows us to be patient. But in the seventh seal, in the fifth seal, he tells us to be patient. In the sixth seal, he tells us that justice is coming. And in the seventh seal, in chapter, uh, the next chapter, seven onwards, we'll see that he will bring justice. He has a plan. He is working it out. But first he calls on the church to be patient. He calls us to wait until the full number of his people are gathered in. Then a white robe was given to each of them and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus who were to be martyred, had joined them. Everyone who suffers for righteousness sake is included in this in these verses although in the west we hardly know what it is to suffer persecution for our faith though in other countries they know much more we, we all know it a little bit but the reason that Jesus allows the world to continue he allows the injustice to continue is that he is he's waiting until the whole church until all the people who will come to faith in Christ, until all who place their faith in him have placed their faith in him. He's waiting until that point and before coming again. And we have to be patient, trusting in him. We need to rest a little longer, wait a little longer. We need to be patient. We need to forgive. We need to let it go for now that's what forgiveness means and leave it to the judgment day and trust that God will deal with it on that day we need to rest a little it might seem like a long time to us but you must not forget this one thing dear friends a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day waiting a little longer from God's perspective maybe a few thousand years from ours it already has been but we have to keep waiting in the meantime the church is growing people are turning to Jesus and the gospel is going out and people are being called implored to turn to him but more important from a practical point of view now is to realise that death and opposition is not defeat. Persecution is not defeat. From a worldly point of view, killing your enemy is victory. And death is defeat from a worldly point of view. But when it comes to the battle of good over evil, death is a form of victory. And victory is a form of death. What do I mean? 
Well, when Jesus was being arrested and Peter wanted to respond in a worldly way, Jesus said, put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? If Jesus and Peter had went into pitched battle with those who wanted to arrest Jesus and they killed him and got away, Jesus would never have died on the cross. And he would never have atoned for our sins. And he would never have risen from the dead. Jesus would not have been victorious. He would have failed. He would have gone against the Father's will. He would have been disobedient. By dying on the cross, Jesus gained victory over sin. By rising from the dead, he gained victory over death. Jesus allowed himself to be killed. And in his suffering and in his death, he was victorious. His obedience was also victory over disobedience, the temptation to sin. The mention of being given white robes in this passage symbolizes God's pleasure, God's approval of those who have suffered and died. They did the right thing in not compromising with the world. And God is pleased when we do the right thing, even if it has significant consequences to us. So to if, if we have a choice between using the ways of the world against those who oppose us, if we return evil with evil, if we're disobedient, well, we might seem to, yeah, we won that battle, we opposed them, but actually we have failed. We were defeated. Sin gained victory over us. If we return evil with good, even to the point of death, our obedience, our faithfulness to God is victory over sin, even though it results in death. The churches that John wrote to had a real dilemma. They were tempted to, and in some cases, as we've read in the letters to seven churches, they were compromising with the world. They were giving in to the temptation to eat meat offered to idols, but not only eating meat offered to idols. Paul says that's okay in itself. They were in the actual temples taking part in the the non-Christian services where, where the meat was actually being offered to idols. They were taking part in other religions. They were compromising their faith. They were also taking part in sexual immorality. They were bowing down to the gods of the culture of the day. They thought, well, we have to do these things to avoid suffering, to avoid defeat. But by doing those things, they were defeated. So in a real sense, then, suffering and death are not defeat, but victory. Each time you suffer for doing the right thing, it's as if you receive to some extent a white robe for your obedience, for your victory, for your faithfulness to Christ, for your perseverance. Don't see it as failure. That might be how the world sees it. But it's a victory when you do the right thing, even regardless of the consequences. So keep pressing on, keep obeying, keep being victorious in Christ. Don't worry what other people think. 
as the church does this, well, as David Curry, the, the leader of Open Doors in the USA, says, the numbers of God's people who are suffering should mean that the church is dying, that Christians are keeping quiet, losing their faith, and turning away from one another. But that's not what's happening. Instead, in vibrant color, we see the words of God recorded in the prophet Isaiah being fulfilled. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. In the midst of death and persecution, there is life and there is joy in Christ Jesus. About a hundred years after John wrote Revelation, the church father Tertullian wrote, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Defeat from a worldly point of view is victory in the eyes of God. Persevering and being patient doesn't just get us justice in the long run, though. Persevering and being patient can change us here and now as well. It's not just a case of being passively waiting until God will bring justice one day. Our perseverance, our patience actually changes us for the better as well. As an example, Bible College professor Johanna Catanaccio, who pastors a small church in Jerusalem, is subjected to much persecution. He writes, Israeli soldiers who patrol the city looking for potential terrorists impose spontaneous curfews on Palestinians who have the legal right to shoot at a Palestinian who does not respond quickly enough to their summons. Johanna tried and failed in his attempts to love his enemies. The Israeli soldiers, their random daily checks for Palestinian identification cards, sometimes stopping people for hours, fed his fears and anger. And he confessed his inability to God. But yet, as he did so, he realized something significant. The radical love of Christ is not an emotion, but a decision. He decided to show love, <clears throat> however reluctantly, by sharing the gospel message with the soldiers in the street. With new resolution, he began to carry copies of a, a leaflet written in Hebrew and in English with a quotation from Isaiah 53 with the words, Real Love, printed across the top. Every time a soldier stopped him, he handed him his ID card and the, the leaflet. And because the, the quote came from the Hebrew scriptures, which the soldiers would respect, the soldier usually asked him about it before letting him go. After several months, he realized that his feelings towards the soldiers had changed. He said, I was surprised, you know, it was a process, but I didn't pay attention to that process. But my older feelings were not there anymore. I would pass in the same street, see the same soldiers as before. But now I find myself praying, Lord, let them stop me so that I can share with them the love of Christ. That's a very real example of where persecution, when we respond in the right way, and God is pleased with our obedience and our love and our care for others, we end up being victorious. 
And we are changed and we become more Christ-like in the process. So persecution and death are not necessarily defeat. If we respond in the right way, we can have victory in whatever circumstance we are in. So we must persevere then. Knowing that turning the other cheek, suffering for the name of Christ is victory before God, even if it looks like defeat for others. I'm not saying we should all be doormats and just allow people to do anything that is unjust to us. We should campaign like Isaiah 117 for the rights of, of justice, for the cause of the widow, the orphan, the oppressed. But when things happen to us, we shouldn't see it as defeat. We can have a victory even in the midst of persecution and even in death. And as we follow in Christ's footsteps, reacting as he did, we find ourselves drawing closer to him and finding the love of God in our hearts towards others as he had. He is building his church. Trust him. Respond in his ways. But we will have final justice one day. If you think that suffering persecution for our faith is bad, if you think that being opposed, even being martyred for your faith is bad, well, look at the alternative. While the judgment of God will be outlined more in the seventh seal from Revelation chapter 8, we'll see it the initial reaction to the ungodly to God's judgment when the sixth seal is opened. The imagery that John describes is consistent with prophecies of a second coming of Christ. Earthquake, the sun becoming black, and so on at the end of chapter 6 here. When that occurs, the imagery that is that people will want to hide from God. When Christ comes again, well, just like in the, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and he hid from God, people will be hiding from God. They'll be calling on the the mountains to cover them, they'd be, well, it's the metaphor, metaphorical language to crawl into the caves, to want the mountains to crawl on them. It's a way of saying, as we often say today, I just wanted the ground to open up and swallow me. Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they cried to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath, their wrath has come. And who is able to survive? Who is able to survive? Who is able to stand on that day? Those who are happy to oppose God now will not be so happy on that day. And yet those who are oppressed, those who even are martyred now, will have nothing to fear on that day. There is already no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And on that day when we see Christ come, we will be in responding with joy that he is coming, unlike those who have opposed him. And yet, God does not delight in wrath and justice. 
He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The gospel message is a call to people to trust in him so that they will not perish. So at the end of chapter 6 will not apply to them. Who can stand on that day? On that day all the injustices that have been that have not had justice here and now they will get justice on that day. All the situations where you think that evil people, evil is prospering people are getting away with things they will not get away with it on that day. But yet anyone who turns to Christ has nothing to fear. All our sins are forgiven. We will have nothing that will be against us on that day. If anyone is turned to Christ, we're forgiven completely. The grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God in Christ Jesus is such that he has taken our punishment on the cross. And we do not need to fear. He has taken the justice that we deserve. And so we can go free. No matter what we've done, Christ's obedience is given to us. His suffering on the cross was in our place as our substitute. And so the gospel is a call here and now to turn to him so that we will not have to suffer on that day. That we will not perish simply by placing our faith in Jesus, by trusting in him, by turning to him, giving our lives over to him. As the tax collector who was in the temple prayed, God have mercy upon me, a sinner. That's all it takes. And our lives are transformed. Our future is changed. So we call others. We thank God for what we have received and we call others to turn to him too, to trust in Jesus, to hear the call of the gospel. We can choose to crusade and battle it out with the world, trying to overcome evil with evil, but that never really gives satisfaction. That never really gives victory. It just compounds the problem. But if we overcome evil with good, then we are victorious in Christ, even if it means we are the ones who suffer, even to the point of death. In the middle of the story of Les Miserables, if you're familiar with the musical, you'll probably know the anthem, Do You Hear the People Sing? And yet in the middle of that story, in the middle of that musical, the call, Do You Hear the People Sing? That anthem is a call to take up arms, to respond in a worldly way. In contrast, at the end, the anthem is different. It's still a call, do you hear the people sing? But it's not a call to take up arms. It's a call to be patient. It's a call to wait and trust in the Lord. It's a call for a better victory where the battle is the Lord's. Do you hear the people sing? Those who are lost in the valley of the night. It's the music of a people who are climbing to the light. 
For the wretched of the earth, there is a flame that never dies. Even the darkest night will end and the sun will rise. They will live again in freedom in the garden of the Lord. They will walk behind the, the bloodshed. They will put away the sword. The chain will be broken and all men will have their reward. Will you join in our crusade? Who will be strong and stand with me? Somewhere beyond the barricade of death, is there a world you long to see? Do you hear the people sing? Do you hear the distant drum of the, of the martyrs calling for tomorrow to come? Will you join us and follow Jesus? Will you join us and persevere through persecution and death? To hear the call of the new earth, to hear the call of the gospel, to trust in Jesus now. Don't listen to the call of the world and to respond with evil, with power, with injustice. Persevere, wait a little longer and the Lord will give us victory. We already have victory in him. Death, persecution is not defeat. It is victory when we respond the way the Lord wants us to. Listen to Jesus, hear his call. And let's keep sharing the gospel, calling others to join us as we seek victory for a far better world to come. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that even in the midst of death, there is victory instead of defeat. Lord, we thank you that even though we suffer, Lord, you're bringing good from it all. Sometimes we don't see it, Lord. Sometimes we struggle to, to respond the way we ought to. Forgive us, Lord, for our sins. Strengthen us, Lord, to be able to respond the way we ought to, with love, praying for our enemies, blessing those who curse us and oppose us. Lord, help us to gain victory by not responding with evil. And Lord, we thank you that you will bring justice one day. Lord, be gracious to us. Help us now to persevere. Help us, Lord, to respond in the way you did, knowing that we do have victory by doing so. Give us strength, Lord, and help us to see that you are in control. Help us to look forward to see that day of victory when you will come again. In Jesus' name, amen.